Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. We have gone through the triumphal entry. When you read of the great outpouring of worship and they just gathered together and they put their coats in the way and they didn't have a coat to lay down, they cut down palm leaves and put those in the street that the way would be paved for for the Messiah to just come right into Jerusalem. If you wonder if Sunday was like that, why Friday when they call for his crucifixion? The answer is Monday and Tuesday. We have a very clear record of his teaching. And Jesus was forcing the hand of the leadership to accept and believe or to reject him. And so the message is entitled, The Battle for the Kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, give us understanding of your word today. Lord, I pray for those who are here that may not know you as their own personal Savior, that today would be the day they submit themselves to the gospel, to you, that they might find eternal life. Lord, apply the word to our hearts this morning as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. John MacArthur said about this passage, during the hidden years of Jesus' adolescence and young adulthood, and certainly during his ministry, he had seen very much social injustice, much economic inequity, deprivation, poverty, oppression, racial prejudice, and cruelty by the Romans. But his mission never focused on social justice because that is not man's greatest problem. It was the far more severe problems of sin that Jesus came to conquer. Men's problem with God is infinitely greater than their problems with other men. They cannot, in fact, solve their problems with one another until their problem with God is solved through faith and obedience. You see a lot of churches taking a left and taking off into social justice and they're going to heal this and they're going to heal that. When the main problem today is sin. And you're not going to have pure government. Today we hear a lot about draining the swamp. I think it'd be great if they drained the swamp. Normally a person goes to Washington and they become millionaires, don't they? Because they get in where the influence is. Say, so we just drain the swamp. Well, listen, no matter how many times you drain the swamp, human government's going to be a problem. Until Jesus sits on the throne, you're going to have inequity, you're going to have problems. That's why our focus as believers ought to be the cross and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple. So Sunday he came and he looked around. It says in Mark that he came into the temple, he looked around, and then he went back to Bethany. Now this is Monday morning. He enters the temple and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. Perhaps the Jewish leaders reasoned that if the Gentiles could be there, so could anybody else. And there weren't many Gentiles coming to the Jewish temple, even though he created it to be a house of prayer for all the nations. Now, 
The temple guards had tremendous power. Do it that way. I'm, I'm thankful for any breeze in here, by the way, so I'm not going to shut the window. And if they found a Gentile going into the court of the men or even the court of the women that they weren't approved, they could kill them. It was very strict. The Jews were very prejudiced. Instead of listening to the Old Testament scripture that told them to look to the pit from which God drew Abraham out of, he was a pagan like all the other pagans, they'd come to the idea, like sometimes we even do as Christians, well, God just knew what kind of a deal he was going to get. So they thought they were the privileged race because of how wonderful they were, God picked them. Not true. God just chose them, an obstinate people, to set his affection upon that the whole world might see God's love for this people and be drawn to him. But they missed that. And it was exactly what Jesus said. It was a robber's den. If you're going to worship God the way the scripture instructed you to worship by bringing your offerings to the temple, you had to go through the business of the leadership there. It was kind of like if you want to do business at a University of Wyoming football game, you talk to the university. You just can't pull up with your food truck or your T-shirt truck or whatever and just start selling things. You need to have the right to have a concession there. So you pay the university a lot of money, and hopefully you make enough money back that you might break even, right? That's, those of you that have to do that know what a challenge that is. You get the right to have a concession, and then you sell your wares. So that's what the... Scribes and the, and the priests and those in leadership of the temple, the Sadducees, had control of it. So if you wanted to have a booth, you paid for a concession. They probably also got a percentage on top of that. And so they made sure that they didn't accept any sacrifices that didn't come through the concession in the court of the Gentiles. So whatever lamb you brought for a sacrifice, whatever dove, whatever you brought for a sacrifice was not accepted and so you could probably sell it as a discount, which then would be sold the next day at 10 times its value. People were paying 10 times what an animal was worth in order to get an animal that was approved for sacrifice. Now, on top of that, whatever money you had to do business with, you had to change it into temple money, and that came at a 25% rate also. So they were just stealing from the people. The very people that were supposed to be leading and giving an example of worship were the ones plundering their own people. What a discouraging thing. What an awful thing. It's not the last time, is it? I saw a documentary about a guy I'd never heard of, some guy in Brazil who uh, started out small and he had enough personality, he made it big and the government went after him. Number one, because people were leaving the Catholic Church in Brazil and they were the the thing that was supposed to be, everybody went, but this guy lived an opulent lifestyle. And when asked about that, as he charged as a charlatan, he said, well, listen, if I'm preaching a health and wealth gospel, how would I look if I were living in poverty and not living an opulent life? I mean, that's what I'm selling. Well, that's what they're all selling in that gospel. It still goes on today. And so the people were oppressed. Jesus said they were like, Sheep that were scattered and had no shepherd because they were abused by the shepherds that God had given. And he turned the temple, that outer court, 
into a shambles in a place of chaos. Can you imagine? People scrambling after their money that's rolling all over the place and animals being set free from their cages and running everywhere. People trying to collect their livestock. And he drove them out. And Dr. Bookman says he was never more messianic than on that day because he took over and he ruled in his kingdom. He ruled from the throne of God. I think it's in Matthew, the only place it says he came into the, King James says he came into the temple of God. He came into the place where God was in time past, where he met with his people. The Shekinah glory was there. Now there was going to be a sacrifice for sin. He was the Lamb of God, and so the temple needed to be cleansed. It says in Mark 11 about this passage that he wouldn't even allow people to carry things through that place because if, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you have that big outer court, and the eastern gate is closed now, but if you wanted to leave town and you were kind of in the middle of the temple, instead of walking all the way around, you could just walk through the temple. He said, you're not going to profane the temple that way. This isn't just another street. He stopped people from walking through. He took over and he ruled. It's obvious the people were thinking, if they hadn't said it, it's about time somebody did something. They began to teach the people. And then it says, verse 14, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, Jesus had spent most of his ministry up in Galilee. And they'd heard of him, but now is their opportunity. He's right there at Passover. Everybody's coming. We can actually get to the Savior. And I believe the place was packed. The Bible says in the other accounts that they were hanging on every word he said. And this really threw off the leadership because they were glad he was coming because they knew they could get a hold of him. But then they saw the power he had with the people, and they knew they'd have a hard time. And this is their reaction. Can you imagine? Just try to think about your old rebellious self before you came to Christ. Okay, I've got to shut that. I'm sorry. I do like a good breeze. Can you imagine seeing people that were lame and couldn't walk, walk? And people that were blind before, not able to see, and seeing them healed and then feeling indignant about that? How is that possible? That is a rebellious heart of man separated from God. All they could see, it was hurting their bottom line. That's all. They saw him heal, and it says... They just became indignant. Indignant. How's that possible? Well, you see, they spent their life on a whole nother level. Their whole life was a life of judgment. And you know, it's easy for us as believers to get there too. We think that sometimes, we would never say this probably out loud, but criticism is kind of a spiritual gift. We can kind of see when people are off, whether it's in business or in their worship or whatever, you know, they're just a little bit off not using the right version, not doing things the way you do them, and so we judge. Now, Jesus, through, the, through James, said, you know, if you're a judge, you're not a doer. My dad used to tell me, you just 
You just focus on your row right here. Your row cone. You got to hold this row. You just do that. And I'm sure he heard it from somebody else. Because there's enough with our responsibility to fulfill all God has called you and me to do ourselves without judging and try to correct everybody else. It doesn't mean that you live a life of simplicity that you can't see when somebody's doing something wrong. But you don't have to pass judgment. We're to come alongside to restore and encourage. But these felt indignant. Why? Because they lived in such an aloof place. They thought everybody that was blind or lame or had something wrong. That was God's punishment. Now, who is Jesus to take God's punishment off somebody when God was trying to punish them for their sin? How awful. How proud. That they thought they were the ones reserved for health. You know, the health of the gospel is a little bit like that, isn't it? You know, if you're sick, you probably sin. No, it's true that all sickness ultimately comes from the sin condition. And one of the things that happens when we get sick as believers, we ought to go to the Lord and say, Lord, you search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me, right? That's a, that's a good place. And sometimes when you're sick and you're laid up, you have that quiet time. And if you're godly, that's what you do. All right, Lord, is there anything that you're dealing with here or is this just a trial, right? But just because there's sickness or lameness or in this even blindness doesn't mean sin. But it was just kind of what people thought. Remember John 9? The disciples said, why is this man born blind? Lord, was it because of his sin? He was born blind, right? So he sinned before birth. Hear what they're saying? What is his sin? God knew he was going to be a sinner, so he just made him blind. He knew he deserved it. Listen, we all deserve things that are awful. We don't deserve life and joy and peace. But we get entitled so easy, and these were the entitled ones. And here is the Lord healing these people that they thought were worthy of judgment. Remember what Jesus replied to the disciples? He said, it's not because of sin, but God's going to glorify himself. What a thought. And while Jesus is bringing health and healing to people, all they have is indignation. But you know what? There were some teenage boys that saw right through all the swamp fog and they worshiped. Where do you get that, Pastor? Let's read a little further. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done and the children were shouting in the temple. The word for children is, is young man. And so we think this is just some boys, maybe bar mitzvahs, 13 years old. Now, if you've ever been a teacher of 13-year-old boys, you have a special gift. If you got through, right? Because their bodies and their heads are full, full of change, you know, and there's such a discouragement to their mothers. They had this beautiful little boy and they became a teenager, right? Now listen, these teenagers were worshipers. They saw, they saw the miracle and they worshiped. We have this thing, it's almost part of our culture that says, when a, teen, when a person becomes a teenager, girl or boy, well, they have to go through prodigal years. A preacher used to tell me, well, my sons are on the prodigal right now. <laughs> they come back to the Lord one day. I guess they were hoping the fact that they said a prayer and got baptized when they were eight or six. The Bible doesn't take, say that there has to be rebellious years. Yes, rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child, but the Bible says the rod of correction will drive it far from him. 
Christian young people don't have to be rebellious. Do they struggle with things? Of course, they're growing. But many times, children are just acting out what they see at home. Right? But these, these teenage boys were worshipers. The Bible says, Paul said to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Listen, I, we are so blessed as a church. We have teenagers in this church. We have little ones in this church that glorify the Lord. Not just with singing on Sunday or in Sunday school, but their lives. They're living out the faith as they follow the Lord, as they follow their parents who are following the Lord. That is so unusual. So unusual. One of my little buddies, Brock, when he gets a chance, he makes his parents get up here in the front row. And that blesses my heart. He just sings at the top of his lungs. He's just in the fourth grade now. And he's like these. He sees the Lord and he worships. Worship. And they say to him, do you hear what these children are saying? Jesus said, yeah, they got it right, didn't they? So he asked them something. He's always asking them, have you never heard? The reason that is such a cut is because these are the experts. These are the lawyers. Their law books are supposed to be the word of God. Oh, really? Have you never heard? Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, God's prepared praise for himself. Said even babies can be used to praise God. These young men are worshipers. They're doing exactly what God wants them to do. I'm so blessed. There's an example of teenagers right here honoring and worshiping. Years ago, when there was a promise keepers deal, they would always have a men's choir, and I liked to go because those men would have t-shirts on that said, real men sing real loud. I like that. Our teenagers on Wednesday, when they have youth group, they sing. Years ago, there's a ranch lady over in Wheatland that used to come and visit once in a while. And we didn't even have great music in those days. I mean, I shouldn't say we had, we had great music. We didn't have contemporary music because Christy was playing the piano. So it was great, really. But we're just singing hymns. And she said, you know what I like coming about your church? All those young people sing real loud. We love to sing. I got the Wookiee choir here. I missed them first service. They were here second service. And, and every week I just say, now choir, let's get ready and worship. Because they're my choir. And there's nothing like worshiping with people that love to worship. That's what these boys were. And it blessed Jesus' heart. He confronted the Pharisees. Those Sadducees, he said, yeah, I hear them. They're just being obedient to God's word. God has perfected praise to these young people. And then he left. And then Tuesday, verse 23, excuse me, verse 18, before when Tuesday begins, they're coming back in and Jesus is hungry. Verses 18 through 22. And he sees this fig tree. Now, Mark tells us that it wasn't the time of figs. And so you wonder, why is Jesus cursing this tree when it wasn't time? They'd be walking up to one of our crab apple trees, about the kind of apples that grow in Laramie, crab apples, right? 
in March and cursing the tree because there's no crab apples on it? Well, because figs can grow all year round. And what happens over there with the fig tree? I just learned this week that the figs come first and then the leaves. First, the figs and then the leaves. So if there are leaves on this tree, there should already be figs, but there's leaves and there's no fruit. Jesus was hungry. Not till later, I think the disciples understand what's going on in this passage. Now it takes a whole day here. Matthew takes and puts a whole story into one little deal. It says it withered immediately. Well, I think it did wither immediately. But they probably didn't notice as they walked away. But later they're coming back Tuesday night and they see the tree. You read the other passages and they say, Lord, this thing's already withered. So Jesus gives some instruction about faith. Verse 20, seeing the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Okay, so I want a new one of those big Dodge diesel pickups. Just pray. Is that it? Jesus said so. When you look at scripture, what did he say? If you pray in faith, what is faith? Faith is obedience to the word and the will of God. If God has called you to something and you see it in scripture, you know it's God's will. No matter what the obstacle, God will pave the way. You just follow him. But remember, James gave some instruction on prayer. So when you look at all of Scripture, he said, you have not because you ask not. That's one reason. We think, well, I'll just tell it myself, right? We have not because we ask not. And secondly, we have not because we ask amiss. And we just want things that the world wants. Sometimes our heart is fleshly. So two reasons God doesn't answer our prayers because we're asking for the wrong things with the wrong attitude and secondly, because we're not asking at all. But he's saying, you need to ask in faith, believing. This is God's plan. That's why when, just as a practical example, we look at our building project. You look at the building you're sitting in. We did not have the money to do what we're, do, what we're doing and what we're enjoying now. We just didn't. And we don't have the money in the bank to do what we're going to do. But what we do is have God. And so we have our building team working on a plan. And when they bring the plan, it's not going to be, can we afford it? It's going to be, is this God's will? Is this what God wants for us? Because we know that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He owns the wealth. He owns everything. Everything in this world, every person belongs to him. But he often, most of the time, right, you guys know that business. Our church is filled with entrepreneurs, and I am so thankful for that. They don't have a guaranteed check tomorrow. They've got to go out and work and trust the Lord. And so it keeps them in prayer. And very rarely does God just say, well, here's how it's all going to work out, and here's the money ahead of time, right? People say, well, when I can afford it, I'll have kids. Well, forget it, because like my son Andrew has named his girls the pirates that don't do anything. Pirates, pillage, and plunder, and it's a lot of fun, but it's not cheap, right? But God provides. Why? Because they're his children, and we're his church. He's going to provide where he leads, whether it's missionary endeavors or shelter that we need, whether it's a pickup truck down in Mexico, 
God will provide. Our focus is to find out, is this God? Is this God's assignment? And here it is. Jesus said, you ask. You know, God intended for his places of worship to be places of worship, a place from, out from the world, and a place of prayer. I think probably prayer is the least thing that happens anymore in churches today. You know, you have your small groups, and I hope that's the number one thing you do. We found out even in organizing our small groups, if we put prayer last, guess what happens? Not as much prayer, because we get pretty, oh, look at the time. Well, so, so you just pray, and then we'll go home, and we don't pray. We try to encourage all our groups, start with prayer. Sometimes we start with prayer requests, and that takes up too much time. If you just start with prayer, you'll get the prayer requests, right? Pray. But prayer meeting, we're not unusual. The least attended service all week. If that makes you feel guilty, praise the Lord. Listen. I don't sit there and go, well, so-and-so is not here. I, don't, I am thankful for everybody that comes to prayer meeting. Why? Because they know where the power's at. Now, I realize there's other things going on, and there are probably some other small groups, but sometimes we just get out of practice. That's what we thought before we kind of went away from prayer meeting. Well, we'll have more prayer going on just the small groups. I'm beginning to understand we need prayer meeting anyway. And you know what we do at prayer meeting? We pray. A lot of big midweek services are just another service, and they do a lot of this and that. And I remember my dad had a prayer meeting. He had to try to play a trick on the people because people would come for the preaching part, the teaching part, and music, and then they just kind of drift off and not pray. So he thought he'd trick them, and they'd do prayer first. Well, it took about two weeks. They just all came late. Why? Because just in our heart, we don't really need to pray. And the point is, we don't have it figured out. It needs to be a place of prayer. Prayer ought to be that thing in our life that we go to. It's just like Paul said, we're praying without ceasing because it's like breathing. We need that communion with the Lord for all those things that come up all day long. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees were way past that. They didn't need direction. They already knew God's will. They were the gatekeepers. And the thing that I think about this passage, 18 to 22... That the disciples will realize later that Jesus was not the one on trial. Often the fig tree is used as a symbol of the nation of Israel. And Jesus was coming that week to see if there was any fruit. Any fruit. What he found was a barren tree. What they got was a curse. Because 40 years later, Titus, the general of Rome... Rome got tired of the rebellion of the Jews and they came in and they leveled the place. That place was not going to be fruitful until the Lord comes back. So when they entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people, they're waiting for him. And they, they have a question. They don't dispute what he did was wrong. They probably had a, a late night meeting that night trying to figure out how do we, this guy is a problem. All the people love everything, and they really loved him cleansing the temple. Because they couldn't just stop sacrifice. How are they going to figure out? There's, they had to start accepting some of these sacrifices, I'm sure. Because they're going to have a real stop-up otherwise. What are we going to do? 
We'll ask him what authority he does these things by. And then he'll hang himself because he'll say, I'm my own authority. And I just love Jesus. Now, Jesus later, when he gets to chapter 24 and 25, he's going to give them hope because the disciples, I wonder what they were thinking. I don't know if he told them what he was going to do, if they just walked in and went, whoa, what are we doing here? We thought things were going well, right? But I don't know about you, but I always feel like later I figure out what I should have said when, when all of a sudden you get confronted with error or accusation. Later, Jesus says, when you put on trial, don't worry or don't study about what you need to say. I'll put the words in your mouth. Isn't that a blessing to know? That if you walk with Jesus, it's not just dependent upon your wisdom. That the Holy Spirit will give you the words. But Jesus answers with just gentleness and such with such a sharp, sharp sword. And he says, well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you by what authority that... I do these things. You tell me by what authority John came. So they had to huddle. Come out. So they get over, they huddle. Now listen, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they don't like one another. But they're determined together. They need to get rid of this guy. So they huddle up and they say, well, if we say this, then this is going to happen. If if we say that, okay. They come back and they say, eh. I don't know. We can't tell you about what authority. He said, well, neither do I tell you what authority I do. These. What authority did Jesus have? Malachi chapter 3. It says, I'm going to send my servant before you. That was John the Baptist. And suddenly, the Messiah is going to come into the temple. He's going to sit as a refiner. And he's going to purify the sons of Levi. That was his authority. That was his temple. He said, but I'll tell you what, let me just tell you a story. He said, there are two sons, and uh, the man had two sons, verse 28, and he said, uh, to the first son, go to work today in the vineyard. And he said, I will not, because he's the oldest and full of himself. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. He said to the second son, son, would you go into the vineyard? Well, sure, I'll do it, Dad. And he just didn't do it. So Jesus asked the very simple question. Which one did the will of his father? Well, he said, yeah, the first one did the will of his father. Jesus said, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him and you seeing this did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Listen to another parable. He said, There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his product. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them thinking they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now listen, they've interrupted his teaching, right? They're going to embarrass him in front of all these people that are hanging on every word. And they ask him one question. He says, well, let's just, 
I'm not going to tell you that, but let, let me just do the other thing. So they're sitting, and he lets them answer. So which one did the will of his father? Well, the first one did, because he went and did. Okay, what's the owner of the vineyard going to do to those people that killed his own son and killed his slaves? What is he going to do? Oh, they've got the answer. They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds of the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, did you never read the scriptures? Oh, what a thing to say to these guys. Did you never read the Bible? Did you miss the part where the Messiah comes and fulfills all these things in scripture? Did you miss this part? The stone which the bills rejected. Who are they? They're the builders. They're the gatekeepers. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came from the Lord, and it is a marvelous thing in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whom it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. What did Jesus say about them? Slow of heart. What was he doing? Jesus knew. Jesus knew already they were trying to kill him. He was letting them know. Here's the battle line, fellas. I know you're trying to kill me. God knows what's going on here. You see, people, there's really no real true atheists. There are only people that say, no God for me. They were saying, we're not going to have the owner of the vineyard's son rule over us. No. We will kill him and we'll have the vineyard. In fact, he'd raised Lazarus from the dead. You know what their answer was? We'll kill him and Lazarus too. Hmm. They denied the works and the words of God. Later, they're going to come to Jesus in the temple and his teaching. And they're going to say, we can't figure out, but we know how you do this. You do all this by the power of the devil. That's how you're doing these two. We can't deny it's supernatural, but you're doing it by the power of Satan. And Jesus warns them, careful. You can blaspheme the Son, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there's no hope for you. But what did he mean by that? How can you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? By denying Jesus Christ and dying in your sin. But there they saw him in person doing these things and rejecting him. And so he said, there's, there's only one option. Either you're broken upon the stone, the rock, Christ Jesus, when you recognize there's no hope outside of Christ for you. You fall on the stone broken. Or in judgment, the stone is going to grind you to pieces. That great white throne judgment where every person stands that has rejected Christ, the books will be opened. And people will be judged out of that book according to their works. Listen, you don't want to be judged according to your works. You want the judgment to take place because Jesus died for your sin. Verse 46. But when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. So the battle lines are drawn. This Tuesday is a long day. Tuesday starts here in chapter 21 and goes all the way through 25. As Jesus leaves and he teaches the discord on Mount Olivet about things to come to us. It's a long, long day. 
And Jesus gets literally the left from the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious liberals. And then right after that, he'll get a right from the Pharisees. And it goes through his whole day like that. Because he's forcing their, forcing their hand. Jesus is going to go to the cross. He's going to interpose his precious blood between the law and the wrath of God that we might have salvation. Father, we thank you for your word. How precious it is. We thank you for the words and the works of our Savior. Who demonstrated so clearly who he was. And then... He laid down his life as a ransom. And he washes every sinner that comes in his own blood that we might find cleansing and life in you. Lord, this morning I pray for those who are here that do not know you. Lord, you would draw them to yourself. Lord, for us as believers, there are many things that distract Lord, that we would leave off judgment and focus on what you've called us to, no matter how important the task, that you will always lead to victory because the victory's already been won at the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing together.